You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Good morning. Um, so it's Independence Day weekend, right? And uh, uh, here we go. And, um, and uh, I'm not from here. Uh, uh, but I thought about, like, let's make some, I might make some Independence Day jokes, some kind of British-American, you know, like, jokes. And, um, and then I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to start off on a negative, uh, for, I don't, I want, you know, no negativity, no animosity. Let's just, it's just all love. Let's just talk about the things that we share together, things that we, you know, that we partner on, like how we, how we both uh, hate France and how... <laughs> How we both uh, hate Germany. And so it's like, you know, what unifies us is what's important. Okay, last week, um, Brian spoke about the kingdom of heaven. Excellent talk. I'd uh, encourage you to, to go back and listen to that if you haven't. And he spoke about heaven. And he spoke about this idea, or this reality, actually, that there is a throne in heaven. And in the, on, the, on the throne in heaven is Jesus. And that throne is the seat of all government, of all power, where the risen Jesus sits in glory. And where he is worshipped day and night by angels and elders and saints and living creatures. And it is from there that he rules, that Jesus rules as king. And today, what I want to look at is I want to take that a, a, a bit further to us and say, what does it mean for us that he is our king? That he is not just the king on the throne. He's not just the king who reigns, but he is our king. He is my king. Because it's one thing to say, Jesus, you are king of the universe. But it's another thing entirely to let him be the king of my life. Yeah? So that's what we're going to look at today. So let's pray quickly. Jesus, you are the king. And there is no other, and there will be no other. And so, Lord, I pray that today we would see you, we would know you, we would experience your beauty and your goodness, and we would be compelled to worship you. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start, we're going to look at a little passage in Luke uh, chapter 6, and it's going to come up on the screens. It says, uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples. Um. Here it comes. Okay. This is Jesus talking. And he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So this is a quite well-known parable, quite a well-known illustration that, that Jesus uses to describe what it's like to live with him, what it's like to live without him, what it's like to live under his rule and his reign, and what it's like to live not under his rule and reign. And it's one of those Jesus parables that isn't that difficult to understand. It's, it's the kind of one you learn at Sunday school. It's the kind of one you learn as a, as a kid. You sing songs about, you draw pictures of if you grew up in the church. And um, the message is pretty simple. The message is smart people build their houses on good foundations and stupid people don't. That is the, that is the message. There's no, 
you know, sometimes like when we go up here, we're telling you some hidden meanings of like, you know, there's layers, there's, la- there's context, there's like, you know, Greek words that mean things that you wouldn't believe. No, this is just straight up. Smart people build their houses on good foundations and stupid people don't. That's as simple as it gets. Hear his words and do them equals smart. Hear his words and don't do them equals stupid is uh, Jesus' message here. And it's a simple story that many of us know well. But it's the first verse that, that really grabs me. It's not, can we just put the, to the verse back up again? I mean, the story itself is pretty simple and pretty easy to understand. But it's the first verse that grabs me. That's not the first verse. So, yeah, there we go. Okay. It's the first verse that grabs me. And it says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? It's this bit that's interesting to me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Why do we do that? Why do I do that? Why do I call him Lord and call him King and not do what he tells me to do? Because it's foolishness, isn't it? It's stupidity. To call him Lord and not follow his direction is, is stupid. There's not, it's not any other way of putting it. And yet it's what we do every day. And we wonder why the, when the storms come and the floods come, that life leaves us shaken and unsettled and in ruin. And it's not a hard thing to comprehend. But it seems to be a very hard thing to do. Why do we call him king and not do what he says? It's a question we're going to look at. Okay, so in England where I grew up, there, there, there is a queen. You may have seen her. Uh, her name is Liz. And she is, uh, she is the head of state. It, I know this isn't something from um, Lord of Rings or Game of Thrones. This is actually happening right now. She's an actual queen. And uh, she actually rules the country. She has a crown and everything. And like robes and stuff that she gets out probably on her birthday. And, um, uh, and other special occasions. Um, and she wears them. And she's the queen of... Uh, the Commonwealth. She is uh, royalty. She is the most senior royal. She's the head of the royal family. She's the commander in chief of the British army. And she, by law, has all the power. Except she doesn't, right? And we know she doesn't. The reality is, is that she is a queen in name. She's a queen in, in stature. She, she has the robe. She has the throne. She has the title. But the power in England is, uh, is held within a democratically elected government. It's held within, um, uh, who, knows, who knows the name of the Prime Minister of England? Nobody here, do you? No, no one. Cameron. Cameron what? Yes, well done. That was a trick question. David Cameron. Well done. Um, David Cameron is the Prime Minister of Great Britain, and he is the one who has the power. He and his government have all the power. They run the army, they run the economy, they set the laws, they do you know, everything they want, and that's you know, how the government works. So there is a queen who is queen in name and queen in title and queen in a, a, with crown and robe, but the power lies with the prime minister. And this is, this is a pretty good picture for what life is like for many of us as Christians in that we have Jesus as the king in name and title, but the power remains with us. We call him king, but we remain the own, our own little prime ministers, our own little presidents of our lives. 
And we like this arrangement just as it is. We say to Jesus, you can be king of the universe. Jesus, you be king of the universe. You make the earth spin around and make sure it doesn't fall off its axis and fall into the sun. You make sure that the, you know, the sun rises every day and then it goes down and the moon comes up and the stars come out. You make sure that there's plenty of oxygen in the air while we just try and make sure there isn't with uh, how we live our lives. But just keep you know, enough there so we're living. Jesus, you run the universe, but I'll look after my life. Jesus, you run the universe, but I'll look after my life. And this is what we, maybe it's not what we say, but it's certainly often how we act. And we like this arrangement just as, as it is, but in the kingdom of God, there cannot be two kings. In the kingdom of God, there cannot be two kings or seven billion kings. There can only be one. There can only be one king. In Ephesians 5, it says, it says this is going to come up. For at one time, you were, you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You see, we have left the kingdom of darkness. We have left the kingdom of darkness, and we are now in the kingdom of light. So this is what these verses are saying. You have left the kingdom of darkness, and you have come into the kingdom of, of light. Now try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. This is what it's saying. You've left darkness, you are into light. Now try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. The way the NIV puts it is, find out what pleases God. Find out what pleases God. And the Bible tells us a bunch of stuff. Here's a few things I found that he likes. He likes us to act justly, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. He likes us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. He likes us to worship in spirit and in truth. He likes us to be cheerful givers. He likes us to love righteousness and all who pursue it. And there's, you know, the Bible's full of this stuff, right? It's absolutely full of it. Things that please the Lord, things that, that speak to him, things that he delights in. And this, isn't, this probably shouldn't be that challenging for us to understand, but it seems to be very challenging for us to do. It's kind of like Christianity 101, and these kind of things are kind of not that hard to understand, but they do seem difficult to actually do every day and every moment. They seem kind of hard and, and not very exciting. And what Christians tend to do, what we tend to do is to get very excited about how we've left the kingdom of darkness. We get very excited about how we've left the kingdom of darkness. I am free. I am saved. I am redeemed. I am forgiven. I am not forgotten. We get very excited about how we've left the kingdom of darkness. And that is really, really good. I'll tell you why it's really, really good. Because the kingdom of darkness really, really sucks. It really sucks. It is evil. It is wrong. It is just the worst. And so leaving it is the best, right? Leaving the kingdom of darkness is awesome. And being brought into the kingdom of light is awesome. But where most of us go wrong is that we... We enjoy the freedom of leaving the kingdom of darkness without realizing that we've been brought into a whole new kingdom. We have left the kingdom, not just to make do on our own, but we've been brought into a whole new kingdom, a kingdom of light, 
a kingdom of love, a kingdom of truth and of beauty, a kingdom with a king who loves you more than you could possibly imagine. So we get excited about leaving the kingdom of darkness. But how much do we think about that we now belong to a new king? We now belong to a new king. Speaking, speaking of the kingdom of darkness, um, who here likes the music, movie uh, Frozen? Yeah? So, so. Yeah? You've seen it. You can't really avoid it. It's just everywhere. It's just seeped into our culture like um, a disease. And it's, it's everywhere. You know, Frozen's everywhere. And um, a lot of people, I mean, you can go online and read lots of Christians writing t- you know, terrible things about the movie Frozen. They think it's awful. Uh, I don't think it's awful. I think it's half of a good message, but it's only half of it. And I'm sure you've probably, oh, you must have heard the song, uh, Let It Go, right? Oh, gosh. I, Bless you if you haven't. Good on you. If you haven't heard that song. Okay, so this, this song, this song, uh, Let It Go, appears in the movie Frozen. And it, it, and it arrives at this um, moment of freedom and release. Okay, so the lead character, Elsa, she has been, she's been kept in by all of the rules and expectations and oppression of her parents, right? And of, of the world's expectations of her. So she's been kept, she's been imprisoned, and she's not allowed to think, and she's not allowed to, free, uh, to feel, and she's not allowed to be free. And she feels caged, and she feels oppressed. And, so, and then she enters this, this moment of freedom, right? This moment of cathartic release. And she um, ends up singing, like, you know, no, you know, I'm free. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. And we're, we're kind of like Elsa in a way because what we do, it kind of mirrors the liberation we experience. We experience a freedom from darkness, a freedom from oppression, a freedom from the expectations of the world, often freedom from our parents' expectations, often freedom from, from, from the world looking in on us and judging us and, and, and looking down on us. And we experience this kind of measure of freedom when we, when we find Jesus and we are saved. But often we can end up in the same place she is, saying, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. And it is this notion of freedom that we believe in. It is this notion of freedom that we most get excited by. It's, it's the notion of freedom that says, nobody can tell me what to do. That's kind of what we think freedom is. Nobody can tell me what to do. Not parents, not teachers, not the world. Certainly not the federal government. No one can tell me what to do. Nobody has the right to tell me what to do. That's the kind of freedom we believe in and we celebrate. And this is the real stickler because it's not just that. The, the freedom we believe in and the freedom that our culture loves, it, it doesn't just say that nobody can tell me what to do. It says nobody can tell me who I am. Right? Nobody can tell me who I am. Nobody can tell me who I am. I decide who I am. I define who I am, and I tell you who I am, right? I define who I want to be, and then I just be it, right? That's the freedom that we believe in. But the trouble with that 
is that I'm not really the best person to, to decide who I am. I'm not really the person most qualified to define myself. Because it is him who made me. It is Jesus who made me. It is him who created me. It's him who knit me together in my mother's womb. It is he who chose me before the world was even made. He knew me before anything happened to me. He knew me before I was born. He knew me before I had my childhood, my family, my parents. He knew me before I went to school. He knew me before I met my friends. He knew knew me before all this life happened to me. He knew me. Now, when we become, become self-aware and kind of self-conscious, like in our early teens, in our, in our teenage years, as that grows, that kind of self-consciousness, self-awareness grows, all this life has already happened to us, right? Hasn't it? Like a decade or more of life has already happened to us. And when we're finding out who we are and discovering who we are and thinking about who we are, we're right in the middle of a whole heap of life happening to us at that moment, Right? So as we discover who we are, as we think about who we are, as we begin to define who we are, it's in the middle of all this other stuff that's happened. But he knew me before any of that happened, before I even knew myself, right? Jesus knew me before I even knew myself. I'm not best qualified to decide who I am. I, I struggle to choose what to have for breakfast, let, let alone to define who I am. I'm not really qualified for that. Most of the time, I don't know what I want. Most of the time, I don't know what I want. And then when I do know what I want, and I get what I want, I realize I didn't actually want it. Right? I'm not best qualified to decide who I am. Yesterday, yesterday um, lunchtime, I, I went out to put some uh, stuff in the recycling bin, and the recycling bin was full, okay? Full to the brim. It's a tall one. It's about this tall. And um, it was absolutely full. And so I thought, well, I've got to make more room. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to climb in and squash it down, right? So I'm going to climb in and squash it down. So that's what I did. It's quite tall. I have quite short legs, if you hadn't noticed. And so I was like, I don't care, I can do this. And so I open up the bin, get one leg up and in. And then I'm kind of hanging, right? Just kind of on the precipice, and I can't get in. And eventually the bin just topples over with me in it. And I I hit the floor, boxes go everywhere, sunglasses gone, flip-flops in the air. Nobody saw, but I knew. (laughs) And um, this is my choice. I can let that guy decide who he is, right? (laughs) I can let that guy decide who he is, or I can let the king of the whole universe decide who I am, right? (laughs) This is the truth. I can let him decide who I am. I can let him define it. I can let him work it out. Or I can go to the all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing king of the universe and say, who am I, Lord? Who have you made me to be? Who am I really? Will we give him permission to tell us who we are? 
Will we give him permission to tell us what to do? Because if you're going to say that he's your king, and you're going to say that he's your Lord, you have to allow him that right. You have to allow him that right to tell you who you are and to tell you what to do. And sometimes the things you will hear won't be what you want to hear. Sometimes it won't be what you want to hear, but it will be what you need to hear. And if he's to be our king, not just in name and title, but in actuality, that he's not just the king of the universe who makes the sunrise in the morning, but he's the king of my life. He's the king of my very being. If I'm to allow him to do that, I I have to say that you can speak like that to my life. You have to be able to speak to me in that way. Jesus is the king, and there's only one response to that. Jesus is the king, and there's only one response, and that is to yield. To yield. Now, you may know this word, to yield. You might see it on road signs and ignore it. And, um, but in, in, every day, in, in everyday life, the kind of idea and concept of yielding just doesn't really appear. We don't know what it means to give up. We don't know what it means to surrender. We don't want to know what it means to let go. It's very, very hard for us to do. We like to stay in control. We like to stay on top of everything. We like to be in charge. And so we spend so much time and energy in our lives, so much time and energy fighting for control from our family, from our friends, from at work, in life, on the road. We, we spend so much time fighting for control. So it's very hard for us to, to kind of get to the point where we can yield, where we can say to God, I, I give up, I surrender, I, I, I give myself to you. So we come back to the initial question. We come back to the initial question that Jesus poses in Luke. Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? I didn't answer that question before, but I'm going to have a go at it now. Why do we do that? Why do I do that? And I think it is because I don't trust him. That there's parts of me that don't trust him. That there's parts of me who forgets who he is. Or forgets what he's like. Or I'm not sure I'm going to be okay. And it's those kind of deep-rooted feelings, those deep insecurities, that, that difficult, horrible sense of losing control. Because it feels horrible, doesn't it, to lose control? It does. And I find it hard because I forget who he is. But he has promised not to rule us as slaves. I think, if, I think if the Bible had a concept of the word robots, it would use the word robots. God has promised not to, to command us like robots, just to do everything he wants in some kind of demanding, tyrannical way. That's not the king we worship. That's not the king you yield to. The king you yield to rules with love. The king you yield to rules with grace. The king you yield to is all-knowing and all-seeing. The king you yield to is utterly beautiful. Just, just beyond description. Majestic and glorious. 
the idea of yielding is so hard until you see him. Because when you see him, when you see him as he is and you see his goodness, his just total goodness, his total wonderful goodness that he just loves you, he loves you. When you see his beauty, which is magnificent and bright and glorious, of course I will yield. Of course I will say, Lord, have your way. Of course I will say, you are my king. I will not just call you Lord, but you will be my Lord. I will not just call you king, but you will be my king. So Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak by your word. Speak through your scripture. Speak through your voice to me, through your Holy Spirit. And tell me what to do. And tell me who I am. Because I don't know. I don't know what's best. You know what's best. You are God. You are king. And I give everything to you. And the challenge I kind of bring to us is can we do that? Can we do that? It's, it's not a hard idea. I have not come with some amazing, mind-blowing revelation of an idea you've never heard before. But I have come with the challenge that he brings, which is, will you yield? Will you, will you let me be your king? Will you let me be your, your king and there be no other? Why don't we stand?